security and hope and help uh, to these men and women uh, and their families. Uh, I don't want you to pray for a box. I want you to pray for the person uh, and their families, all right? So uh, let's bow our heads and let's pray together for uh, these military men and women deployed and their families. Join me in praying. Father, right now, we thank you that you have been gracious uh, to allow us as a church to uh, walk hand in hand and arm in arm uh, with men and women who are serving our armed forces. And we have done that for our history as a church. Uh, But God, I pray that we, your people, would commit ourselves today to pray for these uh, men and women who are deployed, who are on mission for our nation and on mission for you in the midst of their work. We pray for them, we pray for their families, that you would give them the comfort and the security, uh, the compassion that they need, that, that they would find your help in these moments of their spouses, uh, their sons, their daughters, their friends deployed. God, I pray that you would be with these who are deployed. God, that you would let them know that we, First Norfolk, care about them in real ways. And I pray that they would find uh, a reminder by receiving this box of your comfort, of your care, of your passionate purpose for them, that they would walk through the insecurities and the uncertainties of their deployment um, with confidence because they're walking hand in hand with you. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray these things. And all the church said, Amen. If you have your Bibles, turn to 1 John chapter 5. The truth is, uh, I've never been deployed and I've never been in battle, but I can imagine uh, how uncertain those moments can be for our military men and women who enter into the fray of battle, especially during battle time and skirmishes and conflict and war, uh, how that every turn Uh, can be an uncertain turn. Every day might bring greater difficulty, that there is a deep darkness, especially in the metaphorical darkness of battle, but also in the real-time darkness of battle. Uh, It can be an uncertain time and a fearful time. Um, In much the same way, you and I Uh, we walk through uncertain days where the deep darkness of this world uh, swallows us up. The uncertainty and the insecurities of that uncertainty uh, can create anxiety in our hearts, and it can create fear that conquers us. As we've been traveling through John's letter to the church at Ephesus, 1 John, we've seen how that... uh, God gives us confidence in living. Uh, But that confidence is not found in our own abilities, and that confidence is not found in our right emotions. That confidence is not found in what we can manage, control, or conquer. That confidence is found in Jesus Christ. Imagine if you uh, would, uh, going on uh, an adventure, a wilderness hike. And as you embark upon this wilderness hike, you're not traveling paved paths that have already been walked, you're walking in the uncertainty of a dense forest or a sloppy swamp uh, where no one has been before, and you are trying to get from point A to point B. Uh, And it is not a uh, two-hour journey. It's not uh, 
a three-hour tour. It is uh, a day after day after day journey into the unknown. And as the darkness settles around you, you uh, find yourself seemingly alone, filled with uncertainty about what to do next. Where do I turn and find help? No one's around me. Where can I, how can I persevere through the deep jungle or the deep darkness of the day? How can I find nourishment for my body, but more importantly, nourishment for my soul that will help me press on uh, when things get tough? These questions haunt us as we walk through everyday life because we are on an expedition, an adventure. From point A to point B, from here to eternity, we are walking this path and we're searching uh, for the answer to those questions. Where do I turn for help? How can I persevere when it seems like an uphill battle or a downhill slide? How can I find nourishment for my soul when everything around me drains every ounce of energy and hope that I have? The good news that we find in this passage and through this letter is even though we're walking this adventure from point A to point B, as followers of Jesus, we are not alone. Uh, We're not making this journey all by ourselves. We're not depending only on our strength and ingenuity and pull ourselves up by our bootstraps kind of perspective. It's not about us believing in ourselves, but it's about us believing in Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Look at 1 John chapter 5, verse 13. John writes, these things I've written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God. These things, everything that he's written from chapter 1, verse 1 to chapter 5, verse 12. And John says, these things I've written, I've put it in on paper. I've spilt a lot of ink so that um, you might know that you are a follower of Jesus Christ. He's written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God. To believe in the name of the Son of God is literally to believe in Jesus, to trust Him as Savior and King, to see that your sin has separated you from God, and, and so you come to the end of your own efforts trying to get to God, trying to navigate life in your own strength, and and you abandon yourself into the grip of God's grace by trusting Jesus. His death on the cross has paid for your sin. His resurrection from the dead has given you a new life, a new heart, a new mind, and a new way of living. It is this wondrous transaction of God's grace that changes us from the inside out and gives us confidence on our journey from here to heaven. He says, I write to you who believe in the name of the Son of God. In fact, throughout the letter, John has divided the universe into two classes of people. There are those who believe in the Son of God, and there are those who do not believe in the Son of God. And those who believe in the Son of God have the confidence to live in the uncertainties of a crazy world. Those who do not believe in the Son of God are distanced from God by sin, and they are living only according to their own resources. As they travel through the deep darkness of a dense forest, they have no guiding light 
They're just making it up as they go along, as they slosh through the, uh, the, the swamp land of life. They have no help to press them forward. They're just making it on their own, believing in themselves. But that always comes up to bankruptcy. There's no way that that can provide what a person needs in life. So the two classes of people in this room and online and in the world, those who believe in the Son of God and those who do not believe in the Son of God. Last week we saw that those who believe in the Son of God have life. But those who do not believe in the Son of God do not have life. And that's true for every human being ever created. And John goes on, he says, I write these things I've written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. Eternal life is not quantity of time, but quality of time. It's not just going to heaven when we die. It is experiencing the taste of heaven here on earth as we experience the joy and the life and the peace and the purpose and the satisfaction uh, of walking and living and breathing hand in hand with God himself. That's what happens when we believe on the name of the Son of God. We're brought into the very family of God, and we live in the, uh, in the security of his family. He writes that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may continue to believe in or trust in the name of the Son of God. Now, here's what John is saying. John's saying, hey, listen, if you have placed your trust in Christ, if you have come to the end of yourself and by faith repented your sin and trusted in Jesus as your only hope to have a relationship with God, your life has forever changed. Everything about you has changed. You have a new heart. You have a new mind. You have a new satisfaction that nothing in this world can remove. God has brought you into his family. He's taken hold your hand and he is going to walk with you step by step through the wilderness adventure of this life. And it's a wilderness adventure. In a few moments, we're going to read how John describes this world. He says, the whole world is under the sway of the wicked one. That's as true today as it was in the first century. This whole world is under the influence of the wicked one. The wicked one is the devil, and that, that's not where you want to be. That's what makes this world so uncertain. That's what makes this world so chaotic. How can we navigate a world that's under the sway of the wicked one? Where do we turn for help? How do we persevere when the uphill uh, journey is so tough and the downhill slide is so dangerous? How do we find nourishment for our soul? If you have a relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ, if you have received this life that is eternal, this life that is filled with joy and purpose and peace and comfort because you walk hand in hand with God, then you can have confidence even in the uncertainty of time, of these times. In the uncertainty of life, where do we turn? Because we have eternal life. Through faith in Jesus Christ, where do we turn? We turn to God because God answers prayer. God answers prayer. Have you ever sent a text? Most of you have. Have you ever sent a text and you wonder if the person to whom you sent that text has received that text? And you send that text and you look at the screen and you wait for the little three dots to show up that they're 
responding to that text. Or uh, you look and some gracious souls, not me, but some gracious souls, uh, turn on the read receipt on their uh, text messaging. And what that means is, uh, for instance, if I send a text to my wife, uh, at, at the bottom it will say delivered. And then when she opens that text, it will say read. What John tells us today as followers of Jesus Christ, every single text in prayer we send to God, every single one is always delivered and it's always read. Look at verses 14 and 15. John writes, Now this is the confidence that we have in God, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And if we know that He hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we have asked of Him. You know what John's saying? John's saying, when we ask of God, He answers. What an amazing thought. The creator of the cosmos, the God of the universe, the maker of all things, the one who controls everything from sunup to sundown and all points in between for all eternity is listening to you. He's hearing you. He has his ear turned toward you. And he's ready to help when we're in the midst of the deep darkness of life. In the uncertainties of this world. Where do we turn? We turn to God. He is listening. He's waiting for us to ask for help. He's waiting for you to ask for help. Daddy, can you help me? If you're a parent, you know the power of that request. The power of those words. Daddy, Mommy, can you help me? Those words, that request, move my heart. When you're a son or daughter of God through faith in Jesus Christ and we cry out daddy help those words that request moves the heart of God but it's not a blank check we don't get to ask whatever we want and manipulate God's omnipotent power to get what we want. Don't miss what John included. If anyone asks anything, here it is, according to God's will, then we have what we request. Did you see that? We must ask According to God's will, we must align our asking with God's willing. And this is the wonderful thing about communication with God as we open God's word and as his spirit 
instructs us into the will of God, as we talk to God in prayer, even in the deep, dark uncertainties of life, we begin to align our will with His will. That is what prayer does. It's like my conversation with my wife. When we are in a conversation, it always ends up me aligning my will with what she wants, right? That's the way it should be. Husbands, take note. That's the way it should be. It's a wonderful thing that she is so gracious to me to, to, to help me in that. And honestly, nine times out of ten, what she wants is truly what is best for us. And that's how it works in marriage. And, and, and even more importantly, that's how it works in our relationship with God, except he's not nine times out of ten. He's ten out of ten. When you're in the, uh, in the deep swamp and getting eat up by mosquitoes, and you're trying to find some help, you don't need your whims. You need His will to direct you. It's not our whim, but it is God's will that makes praying powerful as we align our heart to His will. We need to pray. And in the midst of the most anxious moments of our days, in those most painful times and seasons of our life. You know what we need more than anything else? We need to know that God hears and answers. We ask, and we ask according to His will, and He answers us. But it's not just praying for ourselves. It's also praying for others. I want you to look at verses 16 and 17. If anyone sees his brother sinning a sin which does not lead to death, he will ask, and God will give him life for those who commit sin not leading to death. There is sin leading to death. I don't say that he should pray about that. All unrighteousness is sin, and there is a sin not leading to death. Now, what is, what is it he's talking about? Many of you all know what he's talking about. You see a brother or a sister, a son or a daughter, a friend who is a follower of Jesus, but they've decided to walk a path outside God's will, and you see the emptiness etched across their face, and you see the pain in their soul, and you see the hurt in their heart, but they will not give up that path outside of God's will. They persist in their sin for that season, and we begin to pray. How many of you prayed for what we call a prodigal, a person that has walked a path beyond obedience to God, outside of obedience to God. How many times have you prayed for that prodigal? I remember in my lifetime there have been several moments where I've prayed for the prodigal that I've loved. I remember one season staying up late at night, grieving, worrying, hurting, anguishing for a loved one who had stepped outside of God's will. And I prayed, and I prayed, and I prayed, oh God, put obstacles in their path. Oh God, put circumstances in their path. Oh God, will you do whatever it takes to draw them back to yourself. And it's God's desire and it's God's design to restore those who belong to Him 
who have walked outside his will. I know that there have been many times when I've been that prodigal. And those who have loved me have prayed for me in that way. You might be surprised that I've prayed that way for many of you. And my heart hurting and anguished. Because I've watched you walk a path that is clearly outside the realm of what God wants. You know, when we have people in our lives that are followers of Jesus and uh, they begin to walk outside of God's will, they begin to sin, um, and they refuse to repent, they refuse to come back. We're tempted to um, write them a text or an email or a letter or say words that, that will uh, try to push them back. But friends, our first response, I'm not saying we shouldn't offer correction, but our first response, our most powerful response is to go to the throne of grace and ask God to do his work. Pray for our prodigal. There's also a warning here. He talks about the sin that doesn't lead to death, but there's a sin that leads to death. What's he talking about there? Well, in the context of John's letter, it is the person who rejects Jesus outright. These are not followers of Jesus and never have been, but they are people that we know, and somewhere along the way, they've hardened their hearts against God, and they've refused to believe on Jesus as the Son of God. They, they've tried to rewrite what it means to have a relationship with God. It's no longer believing in Jesus. It's now believing in certain other facts. And they say they're okay with God, but they've hardened their hearts. That's, that's the context that we find. But remember what John wrote. He said, whoever believes that Jesus is the Son of God has life, but whoever does not believe that does not have life. And when you reject Jesus, you have embraced death. And John says that praying for them, he doesn't say don't pray for them. He says, I'm just not telling you to. Why? Because praying for someone who's hardened their hearts against Jesus is like beating your head up against a brick wall. It's just painful. When we walk through deep, dark, dense forests, and we have anxiety and fears in our hearts for ourselves and anguish in our hearts for others, where do we turn for help? We turn to God who answers prayer. Aren't you ready for Him to answer prayer in your life? Aren't you ready for Him to answer prayer for your family? Where can we turn? Not to the internet. Not to the news. Not to the politicians. Not to our economy. Not to a stimulus check. Where do we turn for help? We turn to God who answers prayer. The second question is, how do we persevere in uncertain times? And John says, because... We have eternal life through Jesus Christ. God has given us a new life filled with power that helps us persevere. We have power beyond our natural abilities. We have power beyond the natural realm. We have power that only Jesus can give, and it's born from a new life that God's given us. 
Look at verses 18 and 19. He says, we know that whoever is born of God does not sin. Let me stop there just for a second. What's he talking about there? We've seen this before in John's letter. Whoever's born of God, that means that you have had this wondrous transaction of God's grace in your life, that you are no longer the way you used to be. You used to be dead in your sin and trespass. Now you're alive together with Christ Jesus. You've been transformed. You've been brought into God's family. You're a new creation in Christ. He's given you a new heart, a new mind, and a new way of life. Whoever is born of God, then he says, does not sin. Now, he's not talking about holy perfection. He's talking about a holy direction. In the language of the Greek there, it's really a picture of persisting in sin. Whoever is born of God hates when I sin. I hate it when I sin. I don't like it. I don't enjoy it. I might numb myself to the pain of it for a season, but if I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, I've been born from God, there'll be a time when I can't turn off the pain any longer. I will not persist in sin. He says, whoever is born of God has a new holy direction for their life. He goes on, but he who has been born of God keeps himself, guards himself, and the wicked one does not touch him. We know that we are of God and the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. New life means that our lives are characterized not by sin, but by power. In your translation, it might not say, it may say a little bit differently. It says, he who is born of God, or the one that has come from God, guards us. It's a picture of Jesus himself guarding us. Either way, whether it's I'm keeping myself or Jesus keeping me, I can't keep myself. I can't guard myself without Jesus. I need Jesus to guard me. And the promise is that he will guard us. He will guard us and he'll protect us. And when we face uh, the... The, the devil nipping at our heels and temptation knocking at our door, we have power to say no in the face of uncertainty. We can persevere and get from point A to point B because we have Jesus with us. He's walking with us on this path, and when that temptation comes knocking at our door, our response must be, Oh, Jesus. Oh, Jesus, help me. And he's right there to empower us and move us toward the victory that he's given us. Some of us look at our sin and look at temptation as if it is an all-powerful thing, that somehow the devil himself is greater than, my, uh, than, than, than the power that, that, that protects me. Now, we have this view that if I'm tempted to sin, oh, I'm just going to cave and fall into sin. But it doesn't have to be that way. In my house, we have three pets, three animals. We have a female cat named Bella. We have a female dog named Lulu. And we have a female dog named Lola. And Lola is a chihuahua. And boy, that dog, that little minuscule rat-looking-like dog thinks that she can tackle the world with her barks and her yelps 
and all the things and her growls. When a delivery truck comes up, she's not looking at the delivery man. She's looking at the truck, and she barks like she can take that truck down. She goes outside to the fence, and there's this big yellow lab that is barking. And Lola, on the other side, in the safety of the other side of the fence, she will bark and yelp and run and, and, and act like she can take that big yellow lab down. But really, she's still just a little chihuahua. And all she can really do is irritate us and nip at our heels. But she can't really do great damage. Do you realize that as a follower of Jesus, the devil is loud, but he is just a chihuahua. He barks ferociously and he will bite fiercely, but he will not take down those who belong to Jesus Christ. He cannot. He doesn't have the power in him. And even though he has sway over the whole world, we're connected to the one who has already gained victory over the world. We're hand in hand with Jesus. So as we're walking through dangerous territory, and every day can be dangerous territory for a follower of Jesus Christ, and we see and hear and feel the ferocious barking of that little chihuahua named the devil, and, and we, we get fearful in those moments, we will persevere toward victory when we look to Jesus and we just say, oh, Jesus, help. And he helps and he delivers. How can we persevere? We persevere because we have a new heart and a new life and a new relationship and we walk hand in hand with the one who has conquered death, hell, and the grave. And the very resurrection power of Jesus is applied to every test and temptation that we face. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14 through 16 The writer of Hebrews says, Seeing then that we have such a great high priest, Jesus, the Son of God, who has passed through the heavens, let's hold fast, cling to our confession. For we don't have a high priest who can't sympathize with us in our weaknesses. But he, Jesus, was tested in every point, even as we are, yet he never sinned. Therefore, let us come boldly before the throne of grace, that we might find the grace and the mercy that will help us in our time of need. In every test, at every tempting, we cry out, Oh, Jesus! And he protects and guards us like the good shepherd protecting his sheep from the fierce wolves. That's who Jesus is. How can we be confident? We're walking hand in hand with Jesus. We turn to him for help. And he answers, we hold his hand in the face of every test and temptation, and he protects us. But where can we find nourishment for our soul on this journey from A to B in difficult days and uncertain times? Where do we find nourishment for our soul? The answer is we have true nourishment for our soul through Jesus Christ who brings us into fellowship with God. Look in verses 19 or verse 20 and 21. And we know that the Son of God has come, and He has given us an understanding that we may know Him 
who is true, that we might know the true God. And we are in Him who is true. And we are in His Son, Jesus Christ, who is the true God and eternal life. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. If you were to run a marathon, and I know some of you all perhaps ran the Shamrock Half Marathon, but if you were to run a marathon, what do you do to nourish your body before the run? Do you get a few nabs, a little peanut butter and cracker, and eat those before the run? Do you, do you, uh, uh, do you just uh, uh, get a little uh, soup, a little chicken noodle for your soul and body, and, and eat a little chicken noodle soup? Is that how you prepare for a, a, a marathon or even a half marathon? No. If you're going to run a marathon or a half marathon, you're going to carb up. You're going to fill your body with the carbs and the caloric uh, necessities uh, that will sustain you, that will nourish your body for the marathon run. We're on a marathon. We're not on a sprint. We're on a marathon as followers of Jesus Christ. And the good news is that Jesus is the bread of life that gives us all the nourishment for the soul that we need. Now, why is He the bread of life? Because He is the one come from God who brings us into fellowship with God. And really, the bread of life that Jesus talked about in John chapter 6 is intimate, personal relationship with God. What we need most every single day is to walk hand in hand with God, to know that He's with us and we are with Him, to be nourished in His presence, to feed off of Him. That's what gives us the nourishment for our soul that we desperately need. We know Him because of Jesus. We are in Him. That means we are connected to Him. We are united with Him. That God Himself is walking with us hand in hand. We're not in this alone. He is with us. We know Him. He knows us. And He takes us and He nourishes our soul with His presence. Guys, if you want nourishment for difficult days, don't spend time meditating about some mantra that, that you might think, why well, you don't consult your horoscope. You want you want. Uh, uh, nourishment for your soul in difficult days, then get alone with God and feed on the presence of Jesus in your life. He's right there. He breaks open himself and he says, here I am. Feast on me. You might say that's a little bit crass language. It is. But it's the very language that Jesus uses in John chapter 6. In verse 35, John 6, 35, he says, I am the bread of life. He who believes in me will never hunger. and comes to me will never thirst again. He said, I'm the bread come from heaven. And if you want eternal life, he said, you must eat my flesh and drink my blood. You know what he's talking about? He's talking about being so connected to him. That satisfaction for our soul is found only in Him. He leads us to what is true, to the true one and only living God. He leads us to God Himself so that we might be nourished in the recesses of our soul. You want to have confident living in uncertain times. 
Where do you turn? You turn to the God who answers prayer. How can you persevere? You persevere through the God who has given you a new life filled with power so that you might persevere. And what nourishes your soul? It's the true satisfaction that's found through a relationship with God, through faith in Jesus Christ. So what do we do with this? You know, this is all good, but, but, what, but what do you do? Verse 21 is really the application. And some would say, and I would agree, it's the application of the whole letter. Listen again, 1 John 5, 21. He said, little children, stay away from idols. You know what that means? It means suffer no substitute for God in your life. There is no substitute that will ever satisfy. It's not a work. It's not, it's not a religion. It's not a, a, a believing in yourself. It's not a way of life. It's not your own charisma. It's not a politician. It's not government. It's not economics. None of those things can ever substitute for God in your life and give you a life of confidence. Don't suffer any substitutes in your life. Where do you turn when you're walking through uncertain times? Don't turn to the news. Don't turn to your horoscope. Don't turn to your own wisdom or intellect. Turn to God. Suffer no substitutes. How can you persevere in uncertain times? Don't depend upon yourself. Don't look to your own ability to pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Don't depend upon your own intellect or your own smarts to get you through. Suffer no substitutes and take hold the hand of Jesus. How do you find nourishment for your soul? It's not in some emotional lift. It's not through some pleasure you pursue. Suffer no substitutes. And trust in Jesus alone. My little children, stay away from idols. Would you bow your heads with me, please? Perhaps right now, what you need to do is you need to start praying. Pray for yourself, yes. There are uncertainties that you're facing, paths that you're having to navigate, dark corners around which you don't know what's on the other side. What, what do you need to do as a follower of Jesus? Turn to God who answers prayer. Ask for help. He's ready to give it, and He gives it in a powerful way. When we ask, he, he answers when we ask according to His will. So pray. Maybe you need to pray for a friend or a neighbor or a co-worker who's walking outside the will of God. He's a follower of Jesus Christ or she's a follower of Jesus Christ. Maybe, maybe instead of just spending all your time worrying about them, maybe take that worry and use the energy to pray for them. Ask God to do what you can't. 
Oh, God, put obstacles in their path. Oh, God, change their circumstances. Oh, God, do what needs to be done to draw them to yourself, to restore them, that they might live again. And maybe today you're facing temptation to sin, and it's been a temptation that you've faced day after day, week after week, even year after year, and You've been looking for the power you need, but you've been looking internally. You've been looking at yourself to white-knuckle it past the temptation to sin. Stop it. Just stop it. And cry out, oh Jesus, help. And maybe you've been looking to substitutes to satisfy your soul, different pleasures or pursuits that you've been looking to, to to feed something in yourself. Just stop it. Don't turn to an idol, a substitute, a fake. Turn to the living God. And He will satisfy your soul completely as you abandon yourself into His embrace. Confident living comes to those who belong to Jesus Christ. So Father, in these moments I pray that we would apply by the help of Your Spirit the truth of Your Word and that we would embark upon this adventure from here to heaven with confidence not in ourselves, but our confidence in you. And God, if there's anyone here online or in person who is yet to repent their sin and place their faith in Jesus, I pray, oh God, that you give them the courage to take that step of faith today and call upon you to save them. Now be glorified as we worship you in spirit and in truth. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.